Welcome everybody to the Here We Are podcast fantastic episode today. I don't I don't want to pick favorites. It's a little unfair to other guests, but but today is uh I'll just say that I I enjoyed the heck out of today's episode and I think you guys will as well. Very different subject matter than we've talked about before and not just really interesting but also had some good laughs along the way. Just a, a great mix of everything. You're going to love it. Thank you to the Patreon supporters of the show, patreon.com slash Shane Moss. I'm now making enough on Patreon each month to cover the expenses of the podcast, paying for editing, website uh, upkeep, that sort of thing. Um, as I get more, I'll have money to advertise to get more listeners and uh, and eventually maybe even um, get uh, get paid for uh, for the time that I'm putting into this and be able to uh, put even more time in and get more guests and, and do more research ahead of time and all of that uh, stuff, trying to find a balance now with doing this podcast and uh, my busy stand-up career. So I appreciate the support, especially the top-tier Patreon members who are donating $20 a month that is amazing and fantastic. Uh, DJ Willis, Michael Wicks, Casey Bishop, Robert Johnson, Madison Tucker, and Tony. Tony with no last name. So any Tonys out there can just claim that it's uh, it's them giving the generous $20 a month. Thank you so much for that. Uh, and just so the rest of you know, you can, you can for, uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you can support the show. And you also have access to... My podcast, which I call the Everything Podcast, on there where I share more of my personal life, personal details. I captured some manic episodes last year. This year, I've ca- I captured a couple depressive funks that I was in talking about them. I've been doing great uh, lately. I'm gonna be talking about that in future episodes as well, and just sharing what I have going on with my. Uh, many different projects and balls in the air, and and so you'll you'll get to know uh, what's going on with my life first before anyone else, and some of the finer details that I don't discuss on this podcast. So I uh, I appreciate the support there, even if uh, even if you um, don't have a chance to listen to that content, the uh, the donation still helps a lot so i very much appreciate it and uh you can also support my stand-up by checking out shows notably i have minneapolis and grand rapids coming up in may where i am doing both my psychedelic show on an off night the the first night um uh, of uh of shows that week in each city and then my regular stand-up act the rest of the week so those of you that have seen the psychedelic show before can come out and see my other act which has none of that material in it completely different and uh and those of you that haven't seen me at all you can come out and see two completely different shows of mine and so yeah check that out my my new uh stand-up act is is coming along it's good i'm not sure i don't I'm not sure if I'm going to break off and start doing a another solo show or I'm, I'm still up in the air with that, but I'm pretty excited about some new material I have been writing lately. So, um, and, and I'm adding more dates uh, all of the time as well. Summers are usually a little slower for me, but I, I have, they're not 100% confirmed, but I have several 
dates now um, coming in for summer as well. So you can always go to shanemoss.com to check those out. Enjoy today's episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I'm talking with assistant professor of psychology specializing in human factor. Joel Suss joins me today. Thank you, Joel, very much. Thank you very much for having me. Extra special thanks for coming. You get bonus points. You get extra credit points for coming and seeing my comedy show, oh, which you did last night. That so was really it was you, w- well worthwhile. Are you, I make all my guests say that, too. It would be weird if you're like, I hated I you. No. <laughs> um, so, so specializing in human factor. First off, what's that mean? Uh, human factors is a field of psychology actually crosses human factors plural yeah, yeah. i was saying human fact like there's well, only one well, no there's i guess there's, <laughs> there's, many. there's many so it's a it's a field that lots of people haven't heard about um it's crosses between psychology and engineering so sometimes it's called you find it in engineering psychology or industrial engineering sometimes you find it in psychology departments so I'm a psychologist or a psychological researcher, and it's really about how people interact with technology and interact in socio-technical systems. So, so big systems that have to do with lots of people in different roles and lots of different technologies. So you can think of an airport as a socio-technical system. There's lots of people, there's pilots and there's baggage handlers and there's baggage screeners, and then you've got lots of technology, air traffic control, planes, so try, trying to make humans work with technology to get things done safely and efficiently. Seems a little, uh, seems like maybe a frustrating thing sometimes. You, you build this great new technology and you're like, this thing's perfect. And then you give it to a human and they're, and they're yeah, muddling it all up. And that's because you might have engineers designing and building it. And right. engineers or designers often think that everyone's like them. Right. And everyone behaves like them and everyone gets the world or perceives the world like they do. And that's not always the case. And you see that with various products sometimes that you might pick up and, and just kind of look at it puzzled and not work, not be able to understand how it works when things should be intuitive. It should be really easy for you to work things out. It shouldn't be a struggle. It should just happen. How did you get into this work? Oh, okay. I'll try to make it a, a relatively short story. Oh, we have. Uh, oh. We're just getting started. We okay. have all, I want to hear your whole life story. Okay. All so, right. You were born. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> born in Australia. Um, so let's let's start here. I was um, I was in Australia, and I was working in private security. I don't look like much of a big, tough security guard, which I'm that's not. That's your secret. Yeah, that's it. Right, the puny guy. Um, so I was involved in that kind of stuff and and training people um, to be security guards uh, that's you know to stand out in front of buildings look for suspicious stuff and also you know involving firearms training and defensive tactics or hand-to-hand combat stuff and I just started asking myself questions like why are we training people like the way we are how do we know that it works and I started looking up 
different things. There's kind of popular books in law enforcement and maybe martial arts about that kind of stuff. But I didn't find anything very academic. And I guess I have that kind of bent. So I kept having questions and I wasn't satisfied with the answers that I got. And I didn't really know what to do. I sat online for months and just started looking at things. And after some stage, I said, I don't know, I'm not finding anything online. I'm going to go to a careers counselor, pay money. So I go to a careers counselor, some kind of psychologist, and they gave me all these tests to work out what I'm interested in and what I might be good at. And it came back, you are ideally suited to being an audiologist. <laughs> What's, I don't even know and what that is. Someone who tests people's hearing and you know hearing aids, really? that kind of thing. And I said, but I'm not interested in that vaguely I've never thought of that and it doesn't hold any interest to me and it actually kind of annoyed me because that person that I went to was a psychologist themselves and they didn't tell me from all the things that I told them that I was interested in they didn't say oh there's this area called human factors and there's a sub area in there that really is about the things that you're interested in so I you know I went to that careers counselor didn't get any joy there, kept searching around, searching around online. Eventually, I came to a website and of a guy, his name is Gary Klein, and he had a, a research company, and he'd written a book. It was called Sources of Power, and it was about human decision-making in under stress and in crisis situations. And I thought, whoa, this sounds interesting. And so this is back, this is I don't know, maybe 10, nearly 15 years ago. And in Australia, there was internet. I jump on the internet. Where can I get this book? There's no Amazon, you know, prime direct delivery the next day. I found the book in a library in Melbourne where I'm from, went to the library the next day, sat down, read the book, said, this sounds like what I want to do. Got online, emailed the company and said, read this, read this book. I'm interested in this stuff. What do I have to do to get into this area? And so someone emailed me back and they said, well, you need to pretty much go study psychology and then get a graduate degree in psychology. I thought, okay, that doesn't sound like a one or two year endeavor. Um, but I, they gave me a couple of people, contacts in Australia to speak with about that who were kind of in that area. And so I was lucky to get mentorship and guidance from them. And so I went back to university, um, did a compressed undergraduate psychology degree in about one year, and then applied to go to graduate school here in the States because I couldn't do, couldn't do what I really wanted in Australia, which is to work with police officers and about training and police decision making. Um, the police, system in Australia is very different to how it is here. We have um, basically just state police forces. So I think that there's just really eight police forces in Australia. That's very different to here in the United States. So when I came to the United States to start graduate school, I went to Florida State University in Tallahassee. It's not a, not a huge city. It's about 300,000 people. So I was surprised to find that there's a university police department they carry guns, they have cars, they've got their own uniforms. Then there's the city police department, they've got their own separate stuff. There's the county, there's 
the Florida Highway Patrol, because Tallahassee is the capital, there was the Capitol Police. And so there's all these different police forces. And that was actually really useful for me because I can just go to a police force, introduce myself and go, hey, I'm doing this, I'm interested in this kind of stuff. And based on that, they can either say, Joel's a complete idiot, we don't want to have anything to do with him, or we might want to speak with him and get him involved in in some stuff. And so that's what happened. You know, I can't do that in Australia. Mm. They've got, they're very kind of rigid. They've got um, official research plans, five-year research plans. And if you don't fit into that, you've kind of got no chance of doing anything there. In Tallahassee, I just linked up with the um, county sheriff's office and I was able to do some things with them and, and the local uh, police training academy. I did some research there. So it was just wonderful. And pretty much everywhere I've gone since Tallahassee and I've moved around, I've been able to find people to collaborate with. So so this is just the U.S. is just the lottery for you. Like, it's, look at all of these police everywhere. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Is this the most policed country in the world? Uh, it's got to be close. I. I think that it might be in terms be, of uh, in terms least of police in ter- officer per per capita and or? and in terms of the number of agencies. Mm, right. Just the, just in a small area you've got a num- you know yeah. a number of agencies and then you move outside this this county where we are now Sedgwick County then there's other police forces there's you know one for this city and one for that city even here in Wichita there's an area called Bel Air and to me coming from a big city in Australia I don't know. It's all just Melbourne, right? Mm-hmm. And there's one police force. But here, you can drive over a road, cr- cross a road, and now you're in not you're not in the city of Wichita anymore. You're in the city of Bel Air. You don't even know that you've crossed over. But for a sign on the side of the road, you've got the Bel Air Police Department, completely separate. And you're just in awe of this bureaucracy. Yeah. <laughs> just well, lying, just uh, I don't. I'm, I'm I don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, they, they, they have. It's a very specialized system. And I, I understand that historically there's a reason that it developed the way that it did. Right, right. But, but it's just different to, to where I'm from in Australia. So I'm uh, just a little bit distracted right now because I kind of want to tell you a story. Please. Um, do we have an extra few minutes? If I Because I want, sure. to, I want to not include this in the time of our interview. Yeah, yeah. This is a, but I actually had a security job uh, once. I've never told my listeners about this either. Okay. And maybe you'll get a kick out of the story. <laughs> Otherwise, we're just going to edit it right out. Who knows? <laughs> Um, so I was working, this was when I was, um, I, I was in Boston. I was starting mm-hmm. out as a comic. Things were going like, okay for me for a new person. I was starting to make a little bit of money, mm-hmm. uh, nowhere near enough to go full time with it, but enough where, um, having a flexible job would be really important. So I was doing a lot of temp work. I was doing temp work at these big construction mm-hmm. sites and, um, and I, there's this one site that I was on quite a bit and there was these, uh, security guards there mm-hmm. that I kind of got to know and, and they were just doing nothing all of the time and I was like this looks fantastic <laughs> and I was like how do I get that job and they were like oh we can we'll just give you this job <laughs> I was like really that's amazing and so I they signed me and basically it was it was a racket it was it was so the construction company mm-hmm. it was this massive uh project of of many different apartment buildings on on this okay. huge lot and um they had uh uh you know it was an insurance thing it, your insurance rates are 
X amount lower if you if you have a security um, on system on, on site. If okay. you, so so they were just hiring the cheapest crew available to to offset the insurance costs and so so there was not they didn't like give me a uniform there was no car or anything no training the, no training right. they were they were like just sit here but like outside they, no, oh, they no didn't gun. give okay. me a gun either okay. i know walkie talkie uh, you're, you're so disappointed yeah yeah come on <laughs> i know no have a gun have a gun but no training <laughs> yeah yeah no walkie talkie nothing and they were like they were like, just stand here or just sit in your car here or there's like a booth you could sit mm-hmm. in as well. And they were like, and just like, don't bother anybody. And they, were, and they were like, don't get caught sleeping. They didn't say don't sleep. sleep. on the. They're like, don't get caught sleeping. And I'd get to like pick my own hours and stuff. I'd pick like the overnight shifts um, and I, I would sleep a little bit. I would. Uh, and I got it. It was a, it was great. I got to sit in a car all day just getting a bunch of writing done it was this great boost for my comedy career so you got paid to do comedy writing essentially exactly Mm -hmm. yeah and it wasn't much but it was i got to pick my own hours i didn't have to do anything it was terrific and the uh so so i i win this award at this festival and Mm -hmm. then my my kind of that's kind of my first break but then and which led to my first tv appearance on on uh on conan o'brien and so i go down to new york to do this tv appearance now what's uh unusual about this lot where they were doing this construction site is it was this old um uh historic um asylum uh like like insane asylum from Mm -hmm. and you know the rumors were it was haunted there's some Mm -hmm. movie made about it blah 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 and like they couldn't even one of the buildings they couldn't tear down because it's this historic thing blah 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 and and so um being that it was this kind of supposedly haunted area, it was also an area where kids would go to underage drink. Mm-hmm. Um, so the night that I'm on uh, Conan making my first TV appearance, um, some kids mm-hmm. snuck into this property, okay. uh, drinks or whatever. They uh, turned the gas on to unfinished uh, apartment buildings and blew them up. Oh. They blew up uh, the buildings. It was so bad. Like the even even like buildings like across oh. the way had all the windows Blown knocked out. out. All uh, yeah, oh. all the all the siding melting and melted and everything else. A, uh, this is way up on a hill. A police officer sees these explosions. Uh, drive, drives up there, you know, was calling the fire department. Thought it and everything was his else. lucky day. He's and, gonna- <laughs> and and he gets up there. And uh, the security guard is just sleeping in his car outside of the fence with just explosions going on. But it on wasn't behind. you, and it wasn't me because I was, was I was I was off on on TV. Ooh. But then they so then you know they look into the security company more. They don't have all their proper licensing and everything, and they uh, they dissolve. They they mm-hmm. were no longer a company. And I was out of a job, but I just had my first TV appearance, and I was like kind of close enough where I could take a chance. And that's when I became a full time comedian. Well, it looks like you dodged a bullet <laughs> by not being there that night. <laughs> so, so that's my experience in the security business, which is don't get caught <laughs> sleeping. But yours is a bit more involved. A little than bit, that. a little bit different. I, 
I I was um, trying to work out right standing in front of of a building doing security. You know, you could imagine two different security guards, and they both look the same. They're kind of twins. Mm-hmm. They're doing the same thing, but one may be picking up a lot more. Right? They may act, be actively searching the environment, looking for potential threats. Mm-hmm. The other person wouldn't maybe look any different from that person. They just might be asleep on the job. Right. So how do you know if someone's doing a good job? And it makes it really tough because most of the time nothing happens, right? So is nothing happening because you're there and you're preventing people? Like they see you and uh, they're, you're preventing someone from coming in? Or are you just missing stuff that's happening? Is stuff happening in front of you? You know that um, uh, gorilla video, the basketball gorilla? Yes. In, in, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. The inattentional I'm blindness. I'm sure we've talked about this on the podcast before, but just right. for a reminder to the audience, I, I think there's a there's a show, Brain Games, on Netflix where they where they I show think. this too. But um, you're you're out, you're showing this video of people passing around a basketball. The object is to like count the number of yep. passes and or whatever. And there's two and, teams of people. There's a, a team of with white shirts a team with black shirts Mm. they each have a basketball each team has a basketball and they're just in a a little tiny area yeah and they're just dodging in and out of this area you know um, amongst themselves and passing the ball bouncing it passing it overhand and you are asked to to count the number of passes Mm. that for example the black team makes and in the middle of the video Someone dressed in a gorilla suit enters the scene from one side, walks through the middle of it, stops in the middle, bangs their chest like a gorilla. You don't hear anything. You just see it, and they walk off the other side. And I think generally about 50% of people don't see the gorilla, right? <laughs> and so the the key is – or the, the key message from that is you often don't see what you're not looking for or you, right. you, you don't see what's unexpected, so if you were paying less attention to that video, you would have actually noticed the gorilla. So right. It would have so, been- so, th- so that's that's an interesting thing, right? So there's going to be – how can people pick up the gorilla? It may be that some people are really good at kind of multitasking, right? I can count the number of passes accurately and I manage to pick up this gorilla at the same time. Right? There's some people that can do that. There might be some people who just say, screw this counting that they're asking me to do. I'm just – going to watch the video and just take a guess at the number at the end but you know they they look at did people count the number of passes accurately and of those that did generally about only 50 percent of people actually spotted the gorilla mm-hmm. so that when i was back in australia and i went to start studying psychology that really um spurred me spurred my interest and i ended up making my own videos like that to use in a study Really? Yeah. So all just gorilla videos. Not no, not just gorilla. I had um. So 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 this is you what got I some did. Some other costumes as well. I had some other costumes, and I what I did was I did it at the university that I was at. I had to. It was quite an extensive process of getting permission from the university to film in a public area there. Mm-hmm. And I set up a video camera, like a, a CCTV camera, and I had actors who were scripted to do certain things, but it was a public area in the university. So there was there were stores there and and restaurants and cafes. So there was people all work, walking around and I scripted people to do different things. I had someone sitting on a bench with a bag. 
with their bag open. I had someone come from somewhere, walk up to their bag and take, like, pickpocket something out of there and walk off. At about the time that that happens, someone in a Darth Vader mask walks through the scene and a whole bunch of things like that. And I showed that to, to security guards. Uh, and non-experienced security guards, less experienced security guards, to try to see if if there were any differences. There weren't many differences. Really? <laughs> yeah, people. You know, there was there were very few people who spotted everything in all the videos. Hmm. Very, very, very few. Um, it, it, yeah. So did did you were you able to develop any techniques to make people better at it? So. I got contacted by a government organization to think about doing that mm-hmm. and nothing really ever eventuated from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a, it's a tough question. I, I think that there are things that you can do. So there's either, there's at least two things you can do. You can select people who are good at doing that stuff, who are good at spotting things, how you do that. I'm not exactly sure, right? Give them some kind of test. Maybe using videos like that, right? People who perform very well on them. Maybe you you pick them to do surveillance jobs. But it could also be that doing surveillance jobs may make people better at, at doing that. But it might be, depend partly on the person, right? Someone, a security guard who wants to just sit in a car and go to sleep all day, they may not be able to improve their performance, but mm. someone who's kind of keyed in and really attentive and wants to, it takes it takes it seriously. They may be able to develop their skills kind of on the job. So the only kind of evidence that I have for that, and it's just anecdotal, is I did manage to get a few people from a a security agency, a government security agency to look at these videos and do them. And it was a very small number of them, but they all did really well. Hmm. And it could be that just the couple that I got were just special and... Yeah, small sample size. And and they were really good, but I was kind of surprised, Mm -hmm. right? And they kind of specialized in doing surveillance work. Hmm. So is is it selection? Is it you know, learning on the job. What, what goes um, into training someone to do surveillance work like that? I wish I knew. Link yeah. me up. Link me you up with no one idea. of these agencies, and yeah. I, be I, another podcast. Yeah. sometime. Uh, I'm not sure if there's anyone out there listening who wants to answer that question or help answer that question. Get in touch. Yeah, I'm really interested. Um, so I have, actually, I've this reminds me of um, so, uh, something with. Uh, they have the they have the fake cameras mm-hmm. that you can put up outside of your house, yeah, and we uh, can get it for like twenty dollars or so, rather than having a sophisticated a- setup. Do you think that that is anywhere near the kind of deterrent it's- that a that a regular camera would you like? I have a. I was getting my mail stolen where I'm at, and then oh. um, and but we figured out who was doing it, and the mm-hmm. police like didn't do anything about it anyway, or like took forever for them to like act on it. That can't be here in Wichita because the police in Wichita are squared away. No, it wasn't in Wichita. It was in Vancouver, Washington, and um and and so I was just like, well, even if I get video footage of these people, if the oh, police aren't do anything? doing anything anyway, then then what is the purpose of having the video footage? So I was like, well, I'll just. I'll just stick up a, a camera just to deter people, and we'll see. Because they have the 
you know the study where they um where they have like the box of uh, the donation box or whatever like it's at a workplace and you can get um coffee or or oh, snacks or whatever just for a small donation yeah and and then they they put a poster or painting of an eyeball or a set of eyes above it and oh. uh, and the donations go oh, up people have the kind of allu- I'm being surveilled the, someone's watching the non-conscious uh, activates and starts hmm. uh, changes their behavior so that's my hope uh, either that or I just told um the public that uh, I don't have the, a real <laughs> camera outside they can ignore hopefully but. you've got one that has a light some of them have LEDs yeah, that like yeah, blink a little bit sometimes yeah, and yeah. I, I'm, I'm not sure if you can get these but you know some cameras some real cameras are, are controllable the, you mm. know someone sits in a in a monitoring center and they can control the camera they can move it around pan to uh, tilt zoom so maybe if you have I'm not sure if they make cameras like that that automatically move sometimes, so it gives the impression that there's someone uh-uh. there's someone watching. Yeah, just for I'm another sure. like ten more dollars or something. Yeah, like that. Um, you know, I remember uh, I have, you have a, a number of things that that we're hopefully going to get have time to get into today. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember we. I actually didn't remember when I when I reached out to you again, but we had met before yes. a couple of years yeah. ago. And when when we had met before, uh, you uh, I I have never thought I've never forgot about this. It was super interesting, and oh. every time the every time the gun debates heat up and and everything else in terms of uh, what what possible testing or regulate or what it takes to get a gun what should we be doing to mm. change things i think about you because oh, you have these wonderful. um you have this amazing um test that you sh- do you remember the test that you showed me yeah uh, can, I you, do. can you describe sure. it to people um so and this is this was born um out of the time when I was briefly a firearms inst- instructor, mm-hmm. probably a shitty firearms instructor. How long did you do it? A few years. Mm. Um, and so, wait, what guy? You, you're you're from Australia. Yeah. you're just like I don't. I was in. I was just into guns. Okay. From ever since I can remember, huh. and I don't know why. And I think cool. my parents tried to, you know, stop me at every at, at every it. stage. And yeah. yeah, one of their one of our family friends. He was he was a shooter, mm-hmm. and he collected gun magazines, the, the American gun magazines, and he just had piles of them. And at some stage, he just gave me piles of them. And I don't know why my parents even brought them home to me, but they did. And that was like oh, I was I was set. I wasn't like porn. It wasn't like porn. No, yeah. um, but I I just read them and read them and yeah. Well, they are know. fascinating. I mean, there's they're, they're a bit they're, scary they're, too. They are scary. I mean, they're impressive tools, yeah. with, without a doubt. I mean, the engineering that goes oh. into them, the the capabilities of of uh, various firearms are for sure absolutely incredible. That that we are a species that is able to make uh, such a device is is really um, pretty spectacular. They they uh, come with. Yes. Their own sets of problems. <laughs> they as do. Well. So, so those videos that that you mentioned, um, <laughs> it was born from um, the time when I was a, a firearms instructor, and I was actually working with some people who weren't really gun people, mm-hmm. and but they wanted to be security guards, and so we wanted to make sure that they really understood how the handguns worked, and they were going to be safe with them. So I developed a, a test that I did out on the range. 
And it was essentially me standing there with a clipboard and I'd tell them what to do, like take the gun and do one thing, like rack the slide. And then I'd ask them the same questions after every action. I'd say, is there a round in the chamber? Is the gun cocked? And what would happen if you pulled the trigger now? Mm -hmm. So they'd answer those and then I'd get them to do another thing, right? Now I'll put a magazine in the gun, right? Answer the same questions. Now rack the slide again. Now pull the trigger. Now do this. And it was about 30 steps long. So what I did when I started here at Wichita State is I basically made that into a video test. So I went to a, a gun range and had someone help me. They they did all the manipulations. We filmed it and then we edited it and cut it up, cut it up into a bunch of really short videos, maybe five to ten seconds. Put that online and then showed a video, then asked the questions. Show a video, ask the questions. So that's that's the kind of test or assessment that I made. And we've collected a fair bit of data using it right now and we're moving towards uh, a publication but a couple of interesting things about it that I can share I wanted to get gun owners to do it mm-hmm. and so I went I thought oh I'll just get on a gun forum and I'll just advertise it on a gun forum and so I went online I, I don't hang around on gun forums I went online typed in gun forums here's what I can't remember the name and I don't, I don't really want to say what it was Anyway, um, you know, biggest, longest going gun forum in America. And so I get on there and I find a sub, a sub forum there and I post my study. And immediately I get comments. Who is this lefty pinko university? He's, he's just, he's just trying to, you know, make us look bad. It's a trap. I thought, this is a bit crazy. And then, and then someone else says they must have gone online, searched for my picture somewhere, uh-huh. got my picture, pasted it on the forum and said, this is him. Someone responds, he looks like a cancer. He looks like he has cancer or it looks like he's a cancer survivor or oh, they're so lovely online, something like that. And then nice it just went, there. went on like that. And then. I, I like that this is this is the kind of temperament that gun owners have to yeah. well no to, so, so to be fair this is maybe a small portion right, of gun right, owners right, right, right in right. some corner sure. of the internet of course, of course. and uh, and then I I had um, a friend who's um, very into guns and very knowledgeable and he said he wasn't on that forum but I sent it to him just as a joke I said you know, this is what people are saying. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually thought about responding in the beginning. For mm-hmm. for a minute, I thought about responding to some of these things and said, no, I'm, I'm not like that. I'm a legitimate person. And I just thought, this is, this is a no-win situation. I'm just, I'm just not going to say anything. He, he said, this isn't fair, Joel. These people are, you know, not treating you right. You're, you're a legitimate person. I'm going to get on there and defend you. <laughs> and I said, Uh-oh. I said, don't like, I really appreciate you, you know, wanting to do that, yeah. but don't do that. It's just, it, it's not worth it. We'll just let it slide. Right. He got on there, he wrote something, and then they had, you know, they had oh, attacked course. him. And <laughs> I did, I, I did get some people responding you, from you there. Some, I did. Some people took it seriously. I did. And, well, yeah, okay. I, I, I got some people responding. And, um, one of the things that's underlying the kind of approach that I used for this study is something called the Dunning Kruger effect. Uh, it's from social psychology. I'm, 
I'm pretty confident you know about it, even if you don't I'm know so about it by names, name. Uh, but it sounds so familiar. It, it, actually, it's the it's the unskilled and unaware. Mm-hmm. So it's it's if you look at people who aren't good at something, mm-hmm. typically they're overconfident in their abilities. Right. right? They don't know what they don't know. Right. And so there's someone who uh, a professor when I was a graduate student had. Done. I like how confident I was that I knew that too, yeah. even though I didn't know that. And I was like, Dunning Kruger oh, effect. There you go. I, I Dunning Kruger, the Dunning Kruger. <laughs> so it, it's got quite a lot of media attention in the last few years, especially, but it's been around for a while. And so there was someone, a professor when I was at Florida State, Joyce Erlinger, and she did a lot of research into that area. And one of the things she did was she did it with, she went to a, a shooting club, uh, went to, I think, a trap and skeet competition kind of shotgun event and she got people to do a test of firearms knowledge or firearm safety knowledge but it was a pen a pen and pencil mm-hmm. i should say that again a paper and pencil test so just a multiple choice test and she found this effect right that the people who did worse on that test overestimated their ability mm. and so i thought that's nice but that test, when you look at the questions, it's kind of generic. It's not about a specific gun in a specific situation. It's just about guns and gun stuff in general. So that's what kind of led me to make the video test that I did and to try to do the same kind of thing, look to see. And so of the data that we've got so far, the the people who are gun owners – they actually do very well on the test. Mm. Um, That's reassuring. Yeah, and so there's kind of even what we call a ceiling effect. There's not much of a, 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 distrib- a normal distribution. They pretty much all did really well, right? All gun owners um, did really well. So at, at least the one, at least the ones that that, that I right. tested, m- just about all of them, they they did very very well. So okay. there wasn't really the opportunity to see that overconfidence because they were they did very well, right? If if you're performing at the upper end. You can't really, there's not much room to be overconfident, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm getting 95% of things right, I can only be 5% overconfident. I can only guess that I got all of them right. Mm-hmm. So, but we also tested a lot of people just here at the university. So undergraduate students who, who may not have guns. And then we saw that effect. So, mm-hmm. you know, the people who performed worst kind of overestimated the most and we've done a few other things related to that it was quite a long video test kind of tested people's patience and uh to to stick with it so after we collected some data we we did some analysis or some colleagues of mine did the analysis and identified a few videos within that that we can just extract and so we can present just something much shorter Mm. and try to get the same kind of data so we're working on that Mm. kind of thing now I, if I remember right, I think you showed me three of the mm-hmm. clips, and I, and I think I got all three right. I was quite proud right. of myself. There you go. I've shot gun, guns a few times in my life. It's been a while, but I, I've, I have a very small amount of experience. Well, and I also have low self-esteem and think I'm oh. bad at everything, and so I have kind of the opposite of the Dunning-Kruger okay. effect happening, where I thought I was going to suck at it, did okay. And, and in the original Dunning-Kruger research – I I think it's something like this, that the people who performed the best were very slightly underconfident. 
So mm. you can imagine this is like in a test. This is the person who walk, who who is going to ace it, but they walk out kind of saying, oh, I don't know if I did so well, I should have studied that a bit more. But then they go and get, mm-hmm. you know, an A or an, an A+. Plus. So... Uh, I'm not sure if that right. if that result was statistically significant, but I remember that there, there was that slight underconfidence. I feel like when I read a lot of neuroscience, I it just makes me feel more and more inept. I, me too. I, I gain like too. a real understanding of of how little I know and and how frustrating it is. Whereas someone who's never read neuroscience will be like, "Oh, I know how the brain works. <laughs> yeah. Sure, it's there's brain. a left and a right <laughs> hemisphere, and yeah, and I'm a visual learner, so." <laughs> There you go. So, yeah, I've, I'm doing other stuff related to, to firearms at the moment, but um, that's that's the one of the main things. So, so is this potentially something that uh, that you could see um, ha- happening as uh, maybe um, a response in, in the future collectively, uh, or a state or two decides, hey, we're going to do maybe a little more rigorous testing before mm-hmm. um, giving guns to people. Is it is this something that? Um, uh, so. I think so. Um, it, it really is a question of what what does it test, right? And is it is it specific to a given firearm? So maybe maybe people's ability to answer the questions might change depending mm. on the exact model. But you could make a similar kind of test for all kinds of different gun. guns, right? Um, so that's my thought in the future. But I'm not going out to convince everyone. Right. I, I think that that's a tough job. Right, just looking at the way that rules are here. So, exam- for example, in Kansas, as far as I know, just in the last couple of years, they changed the rules. You used to have to get a permit to carry concealed. Now you don't need anything. If you anyone, you can go and buy a gun. You can have it on campus, if I remember right. Yes, right? as that of first of July, twenty seventeen, <laughs> anybody can carry guns on campus. So yeah. we actually did a survey using those videos of the university community, faculty, students, and staff before the law came into place and then after the law came into place, but also looking at attitudes towards concealed carry and that kind of thing. And so you get a lot of faculty who are definitely against it, but you know we don't want to give someone a, a bad grade and have them whip out a gun and shoot you in class for that. Right. Um, that's always people's concern. But right. yeah, I, I think I think that there is an avenue to use it as some kind of test, especially compared to some states do have a paper and pencil test still. But as I said, it's, it's normally very generic and it's not situation specific. Do you understand if this gun is going to go bang now if you pull the trigger? So, I mean, that's something that voluntarily a lot of people might just want to test themselves just to see, right. check their own competence and make sure that the gun that they're bringing into their home, they, uh, they understand. Uh, how do you? Uh, how much variance is there in the sophistication of guns? I, I've only shot a few different guns in my life. They all, they all seemed pretty straightforward. The ones that the ones that I shot, but but is it depending on like if it's uh, do they say assault right in the gun community? Do they actually say like assault weapons or is I think or, I think so. They do. Okay. And so I'm I'm not any. I don't want to put myself over as any gun expert. I'm, I'm definitely not. I've, I've got a strong interest. Mm-hmm. But a lot of handguns, semi-automatic handguns, essentially work the same way. Mm-hmm. There's going to be differences between some different brands and some different models. But essentially, you know, some have safeties, mm-hmm. uh, external safeties on them. Some don't. But otherwise, they 
generally work similarly. I didn't know there's guns without safety. Yeah, that Glocks. Scary. No, huh. so I should say no external safety lever. Right? Oh. They've got uh, different kinds of internal safeties, hmm. but there's there's nothing that there's no lever that you have to activate to allow you to pull the trigger and, and discharge around. Whereas with with other guns, uh, like a Colt nineteen eleven. Um, they have external safety levers that you've got to deactivate or move before you can pull the trigger. So, hmm. do you uh, do you get a kick out of the videos? Then, like uh, you know, that'll pop up on the internet. I, I have like the Darwin Award. Oh, um, people shooting uh, people, themselves. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they you know using the shotgun one handed or whatever, oh. and then it kicks back into their face. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I enjoy those. I get a I get a little yeah. bit of a kick out of it. I, I mean, it's a little bit frightening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I remember. I, I haven't looked at those kind of things for a long time, but I remember many years ago there was one. It looked like it was somewhere in the Middle East because the the person was wearing uh, like a white robe. Mm-hmm. And it looked like they were in an indoor shooting range with a rifle or a shotgun. And it was looked like quite a slight person, like a man, but quite skinny. And he had this gun and he pulled the trigger and he just went flying. He just... <laughs> He just went flying backwards, dropped it, fell to the ground, and yeah. I think he might have started moaning. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, I saw one recently. There, that someone gave like their eight-year-old a like a <laughs> Sounds- huge like AR-15 or something like that, and they shot it, and then immediately it started flying around toward the yeah. camera and everything. I thought that was a little troubling, but I think that a few years ago, somewhere in the United States, don't remember where it was. An instructor, a firearms instructor, got killed on a range because it. Uh, oh, this is out in Massachusetts, I think. Like the maybe, kid with the Uzi. The, yeah, so, yeah, something yeah. like that. And they gave the kid the Uzi, or the parent did yeah, something, yeah. and f- maybe fully auto, and they just, yeah, just started <laughs> and turned yeah. around or something like that. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> uh, it happens. So, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, that is really reassuring, though, to hear that most gun owners are. In, in terms of the test that you're running, yeah. our com- that's that's a wonderful thing to uh, to hear. I would have, per- being a, a hair judgmental, I probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have guessed you you came to those conclusions. So, it, and it might be that those um, gun owners who responded to that are really so. Lots of people uh, own I guns, right? right? You can have people that buy guns that right, just right. buy it and never do anything with mm-hmm. it. They just have it there in the house or they carry it. In case something happens, but I think that the people who were on this blog and who uh, and who f- uh, sorry this forum and who found the link to the survey, they're probably people who know a lot about guns. They've probably got a lot of guns. They probably understand them really well. Mm-hmm. So it would be interesting to look at people who have guns but don't really use them or you know don't train with them very often because then then we might start to see that. Right. Um, so you sent me, um, you sent me, well, it's not yet released, but, mm. uh, a publication that will be coming out soon that I thought was fascinating. I actually, um, I, I found it more fascinating than I would have guessed it would be. <laughs> I, it was just so many factors that the, uh, the body cams that they're putting on, mm. on, uh, police, on police. officers. I, I, well, I guess I, why would I spend a lot of time sitting around <laughs> thinking about police body cams? But all of the considerations to mm. make uh, was was mind blowing to me. I, I thought it was fantastic. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about some of that work? So, I'll I'll tell you first if it's okay how I got into that 
Because I wasn't planning to. No, it's not okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so, um, I arrived here in Wichita to, to start this job here in the fall of 2015. Uh-huh. And one of the first things I did, actually before I even got here, I signed up for, it's called Citizen Police Academy. Have you ever heard of that kind of thing? Um, it, th- that's just like the, uh, yeah, like a citizen patrol or whatever. It, so it's, it's just like the, the, it's the not exactly. neighborhood watch. Sort no. Of thing? So it's, it, it's a little bit different. And, okay. and I only knew about it because I did it when I was in Florida, in Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. I found out that, that they have these things. Your, America's just been oh, a yeah. dream. It's been amazing. <laughs> amazing. Um, so um, it's normally a program that's run by the, the police department. Normally about 12 weeks and you go one night a week mm-hmm. for maybe two, three hours and they run you through kind of all aspects of the police department. So it, it's definitely not for people to become reserve police officers or volunteer officers. Mm-hmm. It's just to establish better relationship between the police and the community that they serve. Mm-hmm. And so I signed up for that here in Wichita bef- <laughs> before I arrived did. because I know that I want to do stuff with police, right? right? right. No, so... um I went to do that when I started and, you know, what one of the things that they did was they took us to the shooting range and we got to see some stuff there. We went to the jail. We ate jail food. Um, we, what else did we do? We went to the crime lab. How, how was the jail food? Not great. Yeah, I've been to jail. Not I didn't great. Enjoy it, but I haven't been to the Wichita <laughs> jail, so. I don't recommend it. It's a wonderful jail if you're going to go to a jail, but, uh, yeah, the food Quick is... Quick plug for the Wichita Jail. <laughs> yeah. if you are going to commit a crime. Sedgwick County <laughs> Jail. Wonderful. So, um, as part of that, uh, we had an officer come in and talk about body cameras. And so, he was the person, Captain Brian White. He was the person who was charged with setting up body cameras for the whole of Wichita Police Department. The, the technology, training people, making sure they're using them, that whole kind of thing. And so I went to speak with him after he gave this presentation. I said, hey, I'm, I'm an assistant professor here and I'm interested in doing stuff with the police. And so he said, oh, cool, here's my card and maybe we can meet up sometime. And I'd been in these kind of situations before. I thought, oh, that, that's nice of him. So I made an appointment to go and see him. He's about... He was working at that time at a patrol station that's just next to the university, five minutes walk. I went over there expecting that I was going to be there for about five minutes, that I'd go into his office, he'd say, wonderful to meet you. Um, welcome to Wichita. Great to have you here. Um, thanks very much. If you ever need anything, give me a call. Mm-hmm. I was there with him for more than an hour talking about things uh, you know he's he's really, really switched on. And one of the things he told me about was when they would – um, implementing the body cameras here, the one that they have, it's very, very small. It's a kind of like the size of my pointer finger, right? And it can go, you can mount it in many different places. You can mount it on glasses. You can mount it on baseball cap, mount it on collar. They've got special mounts mounted on epaulets. And so one of the questions that he had to find an answer to was, well, where do we tell officers to wear them? And so what they did was they did a really uh, an interesting thing, uh, I guess a study, but a rudimentary one, and they went to the shooting range. They put 
two cameras on some officers at the same time and they got them to do some shooting drills and then they put the videos side by side and compared what they saw like was the camera picking up the target or whether were their hands in the way when they're holding the gun that kind of thing and so i just said to him can we do that again but just a little bit more scientifically and so he organized everything and we went out got some officers and we put up to nine cameras on officers at the same time. Now, just to be clear, when they're out on the street on patrol, they only have one, right? So we put nine, we put like two on their baseball cap, two on glasses, two on the collar, two on the epaulette, one on their chest. We put a camera on the gun and we had external cameras, like a bystander with a cell phone filming what was happening. And we filmed a whole bunch of live fire shooting drills with pistol, rifle, shotgun, from a lot of different positions and then we filmed a lot of scenarios role player scenarios so these are not not with live with real guns with with replica guns uh, traffic stops foot pursuits questioning people traffic stops building searches domestic disputes and so we collected a lot of video footage and we're now going through that and and analyzing it trying to work out is there a difference in the quality of the footage or what gets captured by the video depending on where it's mounted mm. on the body so that the the police officers or the police departments might be able to make some recommendations right if you're going to wear a body camera where is it best to to put it right there's a story one officer responded to a call where there was a a male who was very aggressive at, at his home on his front porch with a with a knife i think so the officer is over the road with a patrol rifle so an, an ar15 they got that out of the car they set up behind a tree looking at this guy and so the officer is right eyed mm-hmm. right eye dominant and right hand dominant so they're holding the the rifle and they're looking through it with their right eye so they're just peeking out from behind the tree they had their body camera on the left side of their glasses so that recorded the tree, yeah, the bark of right. the tree, and didn't record what was happening. Right. So there's some kind of considerations that they've got to take into account. Mm. Uh, another thing is, so officers wear sunglasses a lot or protective glasses, and you can mount the the camera on the glasses or some some models you can mount on the glasses. But so they're outside, sunglasses are fine. Now what happens if they're going inside to question someone? They often take their glasses and put them on top of their head. Now the camera's pointing up to the sky. So they need to think about having a secondary mount that's kind of a magnetic thing that they could they could just take the camera off because it's just mounted on magnets, take it off the glasses and clip it onto their collar or epaulette before they go into the house. Hmm. Right? Now you can't or necessarily do that if if shooting starts, you know, not suggesting, hey, stop for a second and, you know, move the camera. But in some situations, you know, if they know that where they're going and they know that they're going to have to mm-hmm. move their glasses, then they can potentially do that. So there's, yeah, just lots of considerations about the use of these yeah, things. Yeah, if it's on someone's body and they're kind of turning sideways to it, aim, that's, right. now it's shooting now it's the wrong pointing direction. Out there. And also if it's if it's on their body, uh, so it's just pointing where my something. body's pointing, and now I'm looking around. So mm. I'm, I'm going to stay talking here, but I'm looking around. I'm moving my head. It the the camera on my body's not moving to capture what I'm looking at. Right. So it it it's potentially you know m- not misleading, but it, when it gets to court, right, what the camera shows is not 
necessarily what the officer sees. And even if it's on their head and the camera's essentially looking where they're looking, moving with their head, just because the camera shows something doesn't mean the officer noticed it right. or picked it up. If it's if the camera has uh, better visual capabilities than yeah, the human eye. Right, exactly. So that's, so that's one of the things that has to be considered you know, by the judicial system. Like it was right, right there. He was right. holding a we pack can of see cigarettes. It. We can see that what he had in his hand was a cell phone. It wasn't a gun. Why did the officer shoot him? Must be racist. Right. But you know, that might be under, like the camera may be able to um, pick up low pick light. Up light or, exactly. That yeah. kind of thing. So, hmm. yeah. So there's, we're, we're working on, on that kind of data. And as you said, we've got a, a paper, short paper coming out about that, but there's, there's been very little that I've found about the human factors aspects and the usability aspects of body cameras. There's been a lot in criminology and criminal justice looking at the effects of body cameras. So do they, do they, result in uh, reducing the number of complaints against police officers, things like that. Do they result in police officers using less force against citizens? And there's equivocal evidence about that, but that's kind of a, a treasure trove of research in, in criminology and criminal justice right now in the last few years, but not much about the usability of the cameras. And uh, just, just one other point about them is um, some of them or a, a lot of them require the officer to activate them so they're not always recording Mm. and then in a stressful situation the officer could forget to activate it Mm. now it makes it look like well the officer knew that they were going to do something wrong so they on purpose they didn't activate the camera so now you've got companies coming up with ways of automatically activating the camera might be based on the officer's physiology so if they start to if if the camera has sensors in it, accelerometers like your phone does, and it detects running, that the officer's running, might automatically activate. Mm-hmm. If there's another officer in the vicinity whose camera is activated through Bluetooth, it'll automatically activate other officers' cameras. If you draw your gun from the holster, it'll automatically activate the camera. So, hmm. And um, so, so this might uh, – having a body camera on might, might keep some uh, – some police behavior in check in terms of uh, um, uh, unnecessary force, mm-hmm. and it also might might keep people in check in terms of yes. reporting that uh, officer was yep. being abusive or or, or you know uh, acting out against an officer if they know that they're being recorded. It might so it might potentially keep everyone in line right. a and, little bit. And and Captain White here from the Wichita Police Department. He said he's actually seen a few situations where uh, citizens have come in off the street to complain against an officer. And he says, okay, well, you know, that officer has a body camera. Why don't we sit down and look at the footage together? And that person uh, all of a mind. sudden goes, yeah, well, okay, uh, uh, let's forget about that. <laughs> now, I don't think that happens all the time, but right. he's definitely said that that's happened. Right. Hmm. So, yeah, it can, it can work. It can work both ways. There's even one at least one company that makes a body camera. I think it mounts on the body, so it's kind of the size of a maybe a phone. And it has a screen on it that shows what it's recording. So now if I'm having if I'm the police officer and I'm questioning you, you can look at me, you can see yourself being recorded, right? Kind of like the the eyes that you mentioned, you mm-hmm. know, with the donations. 
now I'm going to maybe watch what I what I do and not swear at the officer and that kind of thing, mm. not provoke them because I can definitely see that I'm being recorded. Mm. Um, Orwell would have had some problems with this, <laughs> I guess. But, right. But I think they're probably a positive thing. And, and I, I mean, do you think that, uh, I mean, uh, when are we going to see RoboCop finally? I, oh. This is, we're getting close. I mean, <laughs> with so, all of the different, if, if, if we're having cameras that can improve vision, maybe mm-hmm. eventually there will be feedback within glasses that people are able to see further. Or- yeah, but I think, so I'm interested in artificial intelligence and robots, yeah. but that that's definitely not my uh, forte or area of knowledge. But I think it's going to be a while off till we see yeah. ro- Robocops, and, and <laughs> mainly because they still can't do the really good human-to-human interaction, picking up on subtle cues. People aren't always good at doing that. Mm -hmm. But I think we still need people to hang around to to do that kind of thing, to make sense of human behavior, make decisions about uncertain situations um, where there there are cues that could be pointing towards different possibilities and trying to get the situation back under control. So I think we're a little way... Off, off that. That's some of my other work relates to decision making uh, in police. So I'm, I have, I have an interest in that. Um, well, I mean, we could. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm, but, I'm, I'm happy to keep talking about we, that. Yeah, we have, uh, we have uh, time. If you have time, I have it. Very happy to. So um, what's that work? So this is something I started in my dissertation, and. In sport research, in sports science, it just boggles my mind how much research there is into the perceptual and the cognitive processes of athletes and how they make decisions, how they make split-second decisions. It's There's just so much research for the last at least 25 years into that kind of thing. One of the, the classic things is that um, experts or better performers in various sports, they're better at anticipating what their opponent's going to do. So uh, a classic kind of thing is in baseball. So they call it pitch recognition. It's basically seeing what kind of pitch it's going to be as it's leaving the pitcher's hand or even even before because you've got so little time to, to react to it. So there's training programs for that kind of thing now. But there's nearly nothing like that in law enforcement. Nearly... Nobody, for all the police that are around, especially in the United States, I think one of the disadvantages for everything being so fragmented and so many different agencies is that there's, there's not many that have the budget to devote to, to research. And there's few federal agencies that will fund that kind of stuff too. So I tried to look at that kind of thing in law enforcement. So, um, in police training, there are some companies that make simulators. So these are uh, big things with big screens with video scenarios, pre-recorded video scenarios, and they give the police officer replica weapons or a gun with a laser built into it, and they can even give them flashlights and, and other weapons. And it's meant for training that they interact with these videos. And if you do it right the person on the screen is kind of talking back at you and the instructor who's manipulating that 
can branch the scenario. So depending on what the trainee says at a given point, if they do the right thing, okay, now I can branch it to where the person on the screen kind of calms down and de-escalates and they don't draw a weapon. But there's another branch available that if the officer doesn't handle it correctly or the instructor wants to force that situation, they can force the person, you know, the forced person to draw a knife or a gun and the officer has to respond. So I managed to get some of these video scenarios from a, a, one of these companies. And I essentially tried to do what they do in sports sometimes, which is a, a method called temporal occlusion. So think of a tennis serve, right? I'm serving and you're receiving the serve. So I, t- I take a video from where you're standing of this person serving towards me. And I've got this video of them serving. I now make edits of that video so that There are multiple versions. The video starts with me bouncing the ball, throwing it up into the air. And as soon as I kind of reach back to start my action towards hitting it, it cuts out. It cuts to a black screen. And now I ask, you know, the expert tennis player, where's that serve going? Is it going to my forehand side or my backhand side? And then there's other versions which show a a few more frames and a few more frames, and a few more frames, right? Up until ball contact, racket ball contact, or just after that. And the finding generally is that the better players can anticipate accurately uh, earlier, mm-hmm. earlier on, right? It gives them essentially more room to get, like, to, to program their response and get to the right place. Mm-hmm. So I tried to do that with law enforcement using these video scenarios. So I um, picked places to occlude them and then ask people, what happens next and so did a a series of studies about that but i think uh if i want to sum it up briefly is what i did was i'm going to i'm going to rewind just one second so in cognitive psychology there's a whole area about judgment and decision making and there's very famous um, psychologists who have done research in that area kahneman and tversky um, amongst others and, but they do tasks that are often in the laboratory where they give people word problems and say, you know, do you choose option A or B? But out in naturalistic settings, work environments like law enforcement, you don't get given options in a situation. You have to come up with the options. And so we use this approach uh, called option generation. So we'd show the video to the participant, it would end, screen would go black. And then I'd ask them two main questions. One is about them understanding the nature of the situation. So I'd say, what could happen next in this scenario, right? Let's say there's a person on the screen. What could happen? I don't ask them what will happen because what we think is that people who are really good at doing this kind of stuff, they can look at what we call situational probabilities, right? This could happen that could happen. So they could draw a gun and shoot. They could turn and run away. They could put their hands up. But it may not be uh, equal probability amongst those things. It might be, well, I'm 90% sure that given these the previous things that have happened here, they're going to draw a gun and shoot. 5% that maybe they'll run away and 5% maybe that they'll give up. So by asking people to generate options about what could happen next and then ask them to assign likelihoods to those things, we can kind of get a picture of how they're viewing the situation. 
And we do that and then we flip it. Now we say, now you as the police officer, how could you respond to this situation? So, well, I could stand here and continue giving verbal commands or I could draw my gun and give verbal commands or I could call for backup or I could run back to my uh, car for cover or draw my gun and shoot. And by looking at those kind of things, we can get a a better idea of how very skilled or experienced police officers are are looking at these situations versus recruits or or novices. So this is ongoing work. And I I wish I had a really clean, wonderful story to tell about the the results. Um, But we're trying to apply this, this kind of approach and actually use that in training, right? If you can show people situations and stop them at some stage and you can do that now now there's so many body camera videos out there police body camera videos online mm-hmm. so you can get that kind of stuff find a place to stop it and now get input from police experts about you know what should you be looking at what what's important in this situation to consider and how could you respond now you can kind of give that to trainees whether it's you know experienced police officers or less experienced and get them to respond and then show them the expert feedback, right? This is what the experts say, right? That you should be looking at in this situation. These are the important things because what we find is that people who are less skilled, they're not very good at separating between what's relevant and what's irrelevant in the Mm -hmm. situation, right? They don't know what the key things are, so they try and attend to everything that's there. Whereas the people who are very skilled, they're much better at honing in on the things that really matter in that situation and ignoring the things that don't matter. Mm. So well, that's fascinating. Yeah. So this is this is something that's kind of ongoing and um, something that I'm really interested in. And that kind of ties back to how I got into all this stuff in the beginning was how do you train people to make decisions under stress and make the right kind of decisions? It's been a very long journey so far and it's going to be even longer i don't have the all the answers right now but i'm on the path that's terrific you're on the path to all of the answers. well a, li- a, a, a few good more number of the as answers. many as a many as we can knock out in a lifetime yeah. anyway right <laughs> well this has been absolutely fantastic i think this is uh yeah this is just fascinating listeners are going to love this episode it's especially relevant with uh, everything that's going on in the news all of the time these days is uh, this is a big topic out there, and and yeah. this is a uh, this is a, a definitely a, a interesting um, perspective. It's going to be hard for me to be out of work. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you will be busy for some time. <laughs> right. Um, so I have each guest each week plug a nonprofit of their choice, just mm-hmm. a fun, nice little thing I like to do. So and so. It's, I think, exploration.org, okay. um, which is a museum, a science museum here in Wichita for, for young people. And so that's what I'd like to plug. I think that they do wonderful work and I'm all for science mm-hmm. and a scientific approach to things. So I encourage people to, to donate to them. Yeah, or you can check out the jail too. The, jail, oh, the jail's yeah. nice. <laughs> but if you're going to check out the jail... Do it via the, the the Citizen Police Academy and not via getting arrested. Right, yeah. Get a free tour yeah. than a forced tour, exactly. a voluntary tour. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, this is terrific. Thank you, Joel, so much. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. We will talk to you next week. 
next week on the podcast very cool important stuff and especially i i told you guys when we had the intersectionality uh podcast that i would be trying to find some guests to give some different points of view uh and i i found a uh professor at drake in des moines iowa uh who wrote a book called uh raising white kids and kind of dealing with um how how uh parents of of white children can uh, can talk about race and racism and um and our history of biases and how to how to kind of teach our children today about these many issues that are uh obviously all over the news and everything else these days um uh, i mean i guess they always have been but but sometimes awkward conversations to have with the young ones uh i know my parents never had a conversation about race with me uh and and um i don't think that it, they were intentionally like ignoring the subject or anything like that i think it's just awkward for people to talk about so we talk about the, the many considerations and why people avoid talking about this and teaching their children about these types of issues really terrific conversation and again these are all you know we get into these areas that might be a little more considered a bit more political and there's biases abound and uh, my bias just does tend to be a little more toward uh, erring on the side of caution with these issues. I do think that discrimination is a really, really big issue. Um, and so I, I probably side a little more with my guest ne- next week than, um, than the, the, uh, the kind of the other guests that I had on worrying about intersectionality invading all of our campus lives but that's that's my own uh that's my own bias i think everyone on each side has valid takes on these things and so know that going into it when you listen next week that uh you know i'm a biased human being and so uh so think critically and don't take anything that i say as gospel Uh, don't take anything anyone says as gospel um uh even gospel preachers if you ask me uh sometimes especially uh, gospel preachers but yeah that's all i've been talking a lot about my biases on patreon uh and sharing my upbringing and that sort of thing so you can find out more uh, about my personal life on there outro music this week by spirit of the bear those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorites. Thank you so much. I say these things over again. It starts to feel inadequate. The needle spins a circle's back. It cuts a groove, but I'm okay with that. I let the time wander by. The waiting room inside my mind. Failed faces, missing hearts. I cast the characters, just play their parts. Run my mouth faster Run my mouth faster now
Run my mouth faster. Run my mouth.